Well, good morning, everybody. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Graham. Glad that you're here with us. Um, we are here in week three of our series called Disciple. So when you think about the thing that you're most passionate about, and everybody has it in them somewhere to be passionate about something, to be better and better, to, do, to improve in that, and at least, if nothing else, to be better than somebody else at something. And it could be in your work, it could be uh, your family, it could be uh, being a father or a mother. I, w- I want to improve, I want to get better. It could be at tennis, it could be at cooking, it could be even in kung fu. There's something in your life that uh, m- maybe it's even that you've decided that you want to be a disciple. You know, it's kind of like that story of the guy in the large organization who was sweeping one night and uh, all of a sudden he finds a lamp and inside it, yes, a genie. I know it's wild. And here he goes, he's, he's rubbing it and, and the genie is saying, you've got three wishes. So the guy stops and he thinks about it for a moment and you know what? I want to be somebody important in this organization. Somebody that people will recognize. Poof! Right? All of a sudden, he's, uh, he's now in his office. He's middle management. And he's like, oh, wow, this is good. I like this. And so he's got, I, I know what I'd like even more. Okay, Jeannie, I know what I want for my second wish. I want to be someone more important than this, Right? Not only does everyone recognize me, but I want to make some major decisions in this organization. And so, poof! Now he's got the sweet suit on. He's kicking back in his sweet new corner office window kind of thing. And he's like, man, this is it. I've arrived. And then already knowing, third wish. And he looks at the genie and the genie says, oh, okay. And my third wish I want to be the most important person in this organization. I want to be the greatest. And then, poof, he finds himself with a broom in hand, sweeping the halls. Jesus said, Matthew 23, said, the greatest among you will be your, what? Will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself, himself will be exalted. And that just all flies in the face of everything that we know in our culture. And hearing that is just as annoying as it was to hear that story about the genie, right? It all didn't go the way we wanted it to go. And we go, yeah, whatever, as if, as if anybody would ever want that. So you think about the language that we use to be the goat. Do you know about the goat? The greatest of all time? the greatest in our culture. You've got to climb to the top. You've got to climb that corporate ladder. If you want to be great, you rise to greatness. The cream rises to the top. But in the culture of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, Jesus flips it upside down. And let's be honest. Whenever we come across these things, it just messes with our heads. We, we don't know how to process it, right? Jesus says, you really want to be the greatest? You descend to greatness. And this week we're going to look at a story about the disciples and Jesus in John chapter 13. And here we're going to find Jesus and the disciples having supper together. And it just so happened to be the last supper that these guys are going to have together before Jesus dies. 
in just a couple of days, Jesus is going to be crucified. And we find out a little bit more about this supper, this gathering together, um, from Luke's account of the same story, the same supper. In Luke, we find out that they are actually having a discussion, right? And you know the kind of discussion. Maybe you've had one before. It's spirited, right? It's a little animated as a discussion. And if you were to walk by, you would identify it clearly as an argument. And guess what they're arguing about? Yeah, I know you want to say it. Who's the goat? Who's the greatest? So you can see these guys kind of sitting around their table, right? And you know Judas is making his case. He goes, come on, guys. You know, I mean, I'm the one. I'm in charge of the money. I manage all that. Without me, nothing would happen. I'm the one who basically makes ministry happen here. Without me, we're nothing. So I've, I've got to be the most important. And then John kind of looks at him and he says, come on, really? Remember that time when Jesus started glowing the transfiguration, and he was on a hill, and Moses and Elijah came down, and they talked. Who was there? Oh, that's right. Me. I was there. And you got to know that right after that, Peter. Peter's got to chime in. He's always got to chime in, and he says, hey, do you remember, guys, that time when we were all on the boat, when Jesus was walking on the water? And all the disciples were like, yeah, I remember that. And Peter's like, I don't because I was walking on the water with him. What? And so you just get this back and forth, the one-upmanship, right? We all kind of like to get in that, what about me? I'm better than you. And so they got this conversation going around. Who's the greatest? And well, this week we're going to find out that a disciple of Jesus washes feet. And that's where we pick up our story in John chapter 13, verse 2. The evening meal was being served. And the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. Now, I really want you to hear what's going on here. So the key word, in case you didn't catch it, was so. We find out all these things that Jesus knew. Jesus knew when he was going to die. He knew that his hour was up. In about two days, he was going to be tortured and crucified. Jesus knew that Judas Iscariot was going to betray him. The guy's been with him for three years, day and night. Jesus knew that he is the Son of God, that he is the Son of God. He knew that God had given him all power. And I don't know about you, but, but, but if, if I knew anything like that, knew who I was and knowing that I am the Son of God, I probably would have reacted in, in at least some way different than what Jesus does and say, hey guys, you know what? I just want to remind you I know you probably know, but I just want to let you know, I really am the goat. I am really the greatest of all time. I am the son of God, right? I just want you to know that. Maybe me, just a little bit of bitterness, just a little bit of justification to pull Judas aside. And I just want you to know, Judas, I know, I want you to know that I know what you are going to do. 
Or I'm the leader. I've been, I've been the guy in charge. I'm the son of God. Guys, you, you've all been with me this whole time. Hey, do you think that somebody maybe just this once could serve me? I mean, I've got a couple of really rough days coming up. Maybe you could, I don't know, somebody, like, get me a drink? Could somebody wash my feet? But no. He knew all this stuff about himself and what was going on around him. And you know what? He knew it, so he knew that he had nothing to prove. So what did he do? Jesus did exactly what he came to do. Jesus served. So Jesus took off his outer garment, he grabbed a towel, and he put it around his waist. Now, in first century Jewish culture, um, other people that would wear similar types of clothing like this, the, the, the towel that puts on the, some kind of garment that you would use to, to clean, those are servants. Those are slaves. So here's Jesus putting on a towel in such a way as a slave would, and the disciples are in the room thinking, what is going on? Jesus was going to displaying this outward reminder of the inward truth. I am here to serve. So how about you? How about you and me? Why are you here at Into One? Are you here to serve? Or are you here to be served? You know, be honest. As you look around, the people that are here, who is it that you think should be serving you? Are you here to really be a part of what God is doing in other people's lives every single week? Or is it sort of like a spiritual consumer idea where you get in, you you get your seat, you get your little spiritual pick-me-up, and then you're on your way with your life. I'll just go back to do whatever I was going to do. Are you a giver or are you a taker? Are you more of a spiritual contributor? And as you grow aware of the things that God shares in your heart, And you begin to serve those around you. You begin to have that heart of Christ to serve. Let me pick up the story. Uh, Verse 5. After that, he poured water into a basin. And I want you to remember the basin because we're going to come back to that. He poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. You've heard the story. I'm sure many of you have heard the story many times before. But to understand sort of the immensity of what is going on, what it means to wash feet in that culture, you have to have some sort of uh, historical context. So do you know what that means? Yeah. We're going to dive into the history of the A-N-E. And that's the ancient Near East to you and me. We're going to flip right over to the first century culture page. Now, We are all accustomed to paved roads and concrete sidewalks. But in first century Palestine, all of the roads leading into Jerusalem were just dirt roads. And and when, when I say dirt, we are talking inches of dust and dirt, if it's dry. But don't worry too much about that, because if it's wet at all, it's just cake like mud. And shoe apparel? It gives a whole new definition to the idea of Nike Air. Obviously, footwear has absolutely nothing more to protect your foot. And it definitely didn't keep anything out or off your feet. It's just a small piece of fabric material on the bottom of the foot, wrapped um, to your foot with some leather straps that climb up your leg. 
But wait, there's still more. If they had traveled on those roads with anything, then those things would be animals. And they obviously, the animals, didn't step to the side of the road to take care of business. So in first century Palestine, they are going to have on these roads, they're going to be walking on them in all kinds of stuff, right? And dirt and mud on them. So to summarize, whenever the disciples walked, whatever they walked in that day was on their feet. So the idea of foot washing, it's a pretty disgusting job. To wash feet is not something that everyone was just jumping up to do. It's not just a task that you are happy about. But wait, it goes even further than that. What kind of people would wash feet in this culture? In the, in the first century, Jewish hosts would, uh, would sometimes have the feet of their esteemed guests washed. And they, they would do it as a very high honor and a show of love to those people to treat them in high regard. The task would be given not to the master of the house, definitely not. Not a rabbi or a teacher, as Jesus was. Not, not even to a student of the rabbi or the teacher, and, and not a family member. Um, this task wasn't even given to a, a servant that was of Jewish origin. They would give this task to a Gentile servant or to a, a foreign servant. So in their minds, they were trying to give this task to the lowest of the low the lowest of the low that they could locate. So here's Jesus taking off his clothing, grabbing a towel, pouring water into a basin, kneeling down to wash the disciples' feet. Now, as a disciple, can you start to feel the tension in that room? The disciples know what this task is, and they know who normally performs this task. Here is the Son of God, their Lord, their Rabbi, their Master, kneeling down to wash their feet. And you got to be able to start to sense the struggle in it when he's kneeling down and he comes to Peter and Peter looks at him and he asks the question, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Is that what you're going to do? Is that what you've got on your mind? I mean, now it's coming together in his mind. He's putting the pieces together. He's seen it unfolding. And is that really what you are planning to do for me? And when he finds out, Peter's like, no, Never. Not going to happen. No way you're going to do that for me. But Jesus does. And I can only imagine what's going on in Peter's head. Man, oh man, we should have totally thought about this. We should have arranged to have somebody come in and do this. We already are planning the meal. It's a special meal. We're all here together with Jesus, with the rabbi. We should have totally gotten someone to come and wash the feet. How could we have overlooked this? This is our Lord, our rabbi. This is a special event. How did we miss this? And people on the outside, maybe like us, are saying, Peter, what's the big deal? You should have just washed Jesus' feet. How hard can that be? But understand the context that they're in. This is not a task that they would ever even consider doing. I, I don't even think that it crossed Peter's mind. I think that if Peter would have ever have thought, this is what Jesus would want me to do, then he would have been pleased to do this for Jesus. And so Peter, I think, gets a bad rap in here. But he was passionate about Jesus. And he, he just loved his rabbi. He followed Jesus and he was devoted to Jesus. And I think that's why he's so 
blown away that when Jesus comes to him and kneels down, he's thinking, why? Why are you going to do this? It wouldn't have even crossed his mind to wash his feet. But as you see, if we are to be a disciple and we are to follow the example of Jesus, we are going to have to wash feet. Now, take that principle and you plug it into your own life, the contents of your own stuff, right? How is God asking you to serve others? It's not what other people think that you should do, but what is God calling you to do? And how can you be sure that you will have the same heart, the same mindset as Jesus on that night when he decided he was going to wash the disciples' feet? So there's three questions I have for you that can help you decide, help you discern, to discover if you have the same heart that Christ did when he served. So the first question is, what is your motivation? Here's some things that were not Jesus' motivation. Pride. A self-righteous attitude. You know, like the Pharisee that said, hey, everybody, look what I'm doing, right? You see what I'm doing right now? What I'm doing is sacrificing, big sacrifice. Look at me sacrifice right now. Jesus didn't have anything to prove. He knew it. He knew it all. He knew who he was, and he didn't have to prove anything. Here's some things that I think motivated Jesus. Love, compassion, Jesus loved those guys in the room more than anything. He loved the world that he had come into. We've already read that in the first part of John. And he loved people. He had compassion on people. You remember the leper from week one, right? The kind of compassion that comes from the inside out, that you cannot not, where you can't help but act. So what's your motivation? And what's your motivation really? Do you see things the way Christ does? Or are you just doing a task? Jesus, help me to see as you see so that I can do as you say. Because when I don't see as you see, I don't understand. I don't get it. But when I see as you see, it all makes more sense. And I'm more able to do as you say. Second question you have to ask yourself is, what is the need in front of you. Now, it's not what you're planning to do next week. It's it's not the thing that you're volunteering for that you signed up for that's later. It's not the mission trip that you've planned that you will go on someday. It's not these future things. Those are important things. But listen to this. This is incredible. This is so important. Jesus had a huge thing coming up. In two days, Jesus knew that he was going to suffer like no other and be crucified. And this is the greatest act of service in human history. It's it's service, it's humility that the world has never seen before, never seen since. And yet, in the middle of that kind of knowledge and understanding, he looks at the need that's right in front of him. And when we talked about uh, these guys and how disgusting their feet are, they're, they're at a table, it's a low sitting table, and they're all kind of there, and their feet are right there. And here's Jesus taking the most simple, the low task, and doing it. You've got to ask yourself, what's the need in front of you? The need in front of you, what does it look like? And maybe if you're at into one, you, you know we need people to volunteer 
to be, uh, to be part of the opportunity to be uh, involved in what God is doing in other people's lives every single week. Do you have an hour or two? Work in first impressions or the kids' church or the sound and media folks, in administration, in, in organizing, in, in property management, the, the lawns and the gardens, the building maintenance, the graphic design, photography, the list goes on and on. We've got a huge amount of possibility. Or maybe it's your family. Every day you see these people, your husband or your wife, maybe serving them, serving your kids. What is the need that's right in front of you right now? Name it. Do it. And the question is, the third question is, what do you have to give? Remember Peter? He went through in that, what he was going through in that upper room with the foot washing, and then later we find him preaching uh, out in the streets that Jesus had risen from the dead, that Jesus is the Messiah. We see him walking the streets in Jerusalem, and he's on his way towards the temple at a special time of prayer. And he's, and he's there, and as, as he's going, he sees a beggar on the side of the road, and the beggar is asking for money. This guy was... was he hasn't walked since the day he was born. And Peter looks at him. And here's what he says. Acts chapter 3, verse 6. Silver and gold I do not have. But what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. You, you catch that? What I have, I give to you. What, what do you have to give? Is it some time? An, an ear to listen? Let somebody get their problems off their chest? Could you, could you be there for someone? Or, or, or is it treasure? You've got things that others don't have? A spare room? What is it that you have that you could give? You, you know when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, you have to realize that this is not some task that he was trained to do. It wasn't a special skill given to him by God. He wasn't gifted in foot washing. This was the task that the need was just in front of him. What do you have to give? When I was getting ready for this message, you know, kind of honestly, um, many of the messages that I get ready to speak at into one, I start getting a little nervous and every, every once in a while I do some fretting. Um, sometimes I think I've, I've, I've got to have the best story, not an okay story, I've got to have the best story, you know, the killer story, the one that's going to really knock it home, or I've I got to have the exact perfect scripture that's going to speak into every one of your lives perfectly for wherever you are right now. And then God asks me these questions. What's your motivation? Now, now, now really, what is your motivation for doing this? What, what do we have going on here? You've got to know it's not about you being the best. It's, not, it's just about you being honest, passionate, and authentic. And then let me shine through you. Second question. What is the need right in front of you? Don't be looking at everybody else's needs and what they can do. What's right in front of you? What can you do? And there are still plenty of times that I look around for the real pastor. Maybe he'll show up, she'll show up, but God has called me here. He's affirmed that to other people and he's affirmed that to me also. I just forget sometimes. And the third question, well, what do you have to give? I got this, then give it. 
When you have a love and compassion for people the way Jesus did, when you really get that peace and you answer that question, you're going to see the need right in front of you. And you don't really care anymore what the task is because you're going to do it. And you're going to give whatever it is that you have to give. Now, you remember that basin of water that Jesus, that Jesus used to wash the disciples' feet? There's another time in Scripture, in Jesus' life, that we hear about a basin of water. It's when Jesus is standing condemned before a guy named Pontius Pilate. And the crowds, the crowds of people that Jesus came to save, not to condemn, but to save, are screaming at him, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And Pontius Pilate could find no fault in him. But instead of doing something, he does nothing. And he takes his basin of water, and he pours some water into it, and he dips his hands in, and he says, I have nothing to do with it. Right now, I think we all have a basin in front of us. You've got a basin of water in front of you, and so do I. And you've got two choices. One is you, you can take that basin of water and you can say, you know what? I wash my hands of this. I don't want to have anything to do with it. I don't want to have anything to do with this, um, this kind of being a disciple and what it means and what it's going to cost me. And I don't want to have anything to do with that. And you, and you can wash your hands. Or you can take that, that same basin of water and you can kneel down and you can start washing feet. You can serve just like Jesus did. In Mark 10, th this is how Jesus describes what he was here to do. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Kind Father, thank you. Thank you for the story that we get to see. Thank you for breaking into our world and, and, and not just saying, how do I do the same thing a little bit differently? You call us to a radical life of difference, upside down. Your kingdom is not what we anticipate. It's not one that we look to have control over. It doesn't make sense to us in so many ways, but you have said this is the best way forward. If we together do these things, the kingdom of God comes to life on earth. And in this, you have said the secret is service. For me to be transformed, part of my path must come through service. As part of my getting close to you, as part of my meeting the success in this world, part of what I need to do is learn how to serve. This is, this is a spiritual connecting point, a place where, where you meet me and it takes faith, God, because it doesn't feel like it makes sense. It feels like I'm going to get taken advantage of. It feels like I won't be okay. It feels like the good that I have is going to run out. I'm afraid of scarcity. But into that, I want to step in my trust. And I trust you that even though it feels like I will run out, you have said that I won't. 
You have said that you will provide for me beyond all I can ask or even imagine that whatever it is that I do in your name that you have called me to, you will provide for me all that I need. And standing on the outside, that's hard to believe, but God, I want to trust you. I want to trust you with my time, my treasure, and my talent. And when I get these things in the, in the right allocation, I will have my eyes firmly fixed on you, for without you, things won't be okay. But with you, things can be unbelievably amazing. So use us, I pray, as we decide to serve Meet with us. Give us direction on what we should do. Call us forward towards you, Jesus. Thanks. Holy Spirit, you are free to move once again. We welcome you here. Sometimes we need to be prompted. Sometimes we need to be whacked on the head. We don't always make good choices. And so, God, we're, we're asking you that you would guide us forward into making those good choices. How do we go best forward in this world, in this life? Take what I have. Use it, please. Thanks for the freedom to serve. In Jesus' name, amen.